This B-Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. Want to bring IXL to your school? Learn more at IXL.com B-E. That's IXL.com B-E. Welcome to Changemaker EDU, a podcast that inspires powerful individual and collective transformation by sharing leadership, personal development, and education change-making ideas and stories to ignite people like you to create the change deep within your soul, embody your calling, and bring your dreams to life. I'm your host, David K. Richards, and I share wisdom from my 25 plus years as an education innovator, school founder and CEO, mindset teacher and leadership coach, but also interviewing other diverse paradigm shifters. Join me in our grassroots movement to create lasting impact, one education change maker at a time. Yeah, what I loved about this conversation is that I feel like we got clear on what's possible in education. Yes, sir. And there's a different narrative that we can share now about. It's not like you said, most people just don't know they don't, even, they don't even know any better because they're not spending all their, you know, days and nights thinking about it like we are. Right. And also that everybody, everybody has the ability to change. Everybody has the ability to lead change and that change doesn't happen from, you know, the big government entity or the big bureaucratic school district. It does happen. But what's really going to happen if we're going to actually create massive change and disruptive innovation is through the people that care the most on the ground in the communities that literally care the most about these kids because they're the ones that are raising them, right? The parents, the people in the community, the kids themselves, that's where the real change is going to come. Beautifully said. Beautifully said, my friend. All right. Welcome, everyone. Excited to be here today with Matt Baudreau. Matt and I actually have met a few times, been several years, but we met when he started Acton and Plaster, which I know you heard about in, in the bio. But yeah, it's great to have you on, Matt. Thanks for coming today. It's great to connect, man. It has it's been too. It's been too long. You go. It's, it's been a while. Back. Yeah, a lot has happened since. So dang fast, man. But it's it's been a few years since we yeah. uh, sat down. So no, it's great to connect. Yeah, and we basically started our school around the same time. I think about 2017, right? Was when you launched Axon Placer? Uh, yes, sir. Yep, I launched the first campus of uh, of the Placer schools in 2017. You're correct, sir. Yep. Okay. Yeah, and we launched Growth Public Schools in fall of 2017. So we were yep. right on the same trajectory. Yep. Well, well I'd love to hear about, you know, what was your why? Like, why did you decide to launch Acton Placer? And, and you were one of the earliest ones, right, to take the model and bring it into a new region? Yes, sir. Yeah, that was the first one anywhere near um, anything in Northern California at all. Uh, still relatively early as, an, as a network, you know, and, and I always talk about my why is, is really my my kids um, and seeing what I call the game of school, you know, from, from the inside out. And yeah always preface it going, man, good. We need good humans in schools, period. End of story. I'm the biggest supporter of teachers, administrators. Like I am the biggest supporter of those people. Yeah. Reality is 
so many young heroes, the best humans they're ever going to see are those at school because sometimes they're not going home to the best humans, right? right? So I'm the biggest supporter. So I always want to make sure that that is abundantly clear. Um, and you worked in public schools, didn't you, for a bit? I mean, that's that was it, right? I that's did. where you started. I was at Stan. I actually started at Stanford and was working there and okay. started to see a little bit of a game you know, then it was like, wait, I grew up believing the meritocracy and this is how you did this. But wait, there's a little bit of a different element going on. That's interesting. Um, and my, and my, you know, my young naivete, it's like, okay, well, I'll go fix some of this and help people right. on the public school side. Right. So I guess I was a public school teacher and administrator. And, um, again, naively was like, I'll go to work in private because I believe private probably has a different focus. And, and it was a very similar thing. And there were just yeah elements of that, that I very much disagree with that specific model and didn't want it for my kids. Yeah. So how old are your kids? Mine are now 12, 10 and seven. Okay. Got it. So my oldest was at 2017, she was getting ready to go into school. Yeah. Right. And so I was like, I need a place that I really feel passionate about her going. Um, and if I don't see it, I mean, we have a rule in our house that says, don't complain unless you're willing to fix it. Yep. And I just, I very much believe in that. I'm not a complainer. I'm going to go ahead and, and create a solution. It may not be perfect. There, in fact, I guarantee it won't be, but it's a solution, right? And so that's yeah. really, the, that was the impetus behind getting that going. And, and we ended up, you know, not just launching, but doing well and, and building multiple campuses. Yeah. And so you, so your why was, it's so funny because my son is the same, probably the same age as your daughter. And that was okay. my why too, because I had worked in high schools. And so right. I just thought about sending my son to kindergarten and I was like, Oh, geez. <laughs> and oh, to your point, like, um, you know, what I always talk about is the, I call it the operating system, but the operating system of schools has not changed. So right. you might have a private school, you might have a public school, but you're still working within the same kind of confines. Exactly. And that's it. Right. And I call it the conveyor belt, the conveyor oh, belt. Nice. Right. Same thing. Right? So it's that conveyor belt model, you know, and I yeah. just don't, I don't personally, based on my research, and again, I'm, I always come from a place of this is what I uh, believe to be true. I'm glad to change my mind if better evidence is presented. But the more I've gone down this rabbit hole in the last two decades, the more yeah. it's actually just secured my belief that schools, the conveyor belt design, was not meant to educate human beings. It was meant to school them. It yes. was meant to push them in a specific direction, but yes. it wasn't meant to educate. And that's my problem with it, which is why I'm so passionate about building alternatives so people can go, wait a second, there maybe there's some other options. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I find really fascinating, we kind of talked about this before I hit record around micro schools, as I was sharing with you, that feels like where we were in the charter movement about 30 years ago, because now the charter movement, I think the first one was 1993 or 1994 in Minnesota and then California came in 1995. So we're getting close to like a 30 year charter movement in California. And these are the kind of conversations like the first charter school I worked at was actually in Redwood city, California, but approved mm. by Tulum County. Mm. So like, it wasn't even the same area. And our yeah. founder was super entrepreneurial and smart. And she was like, I'm not going to go to the bureaucrats that don't want me to have kids in their, in my school and ask them to oversee me. And right. so it's an, what I think what's kind of killing the charter movement is that I always joke. I'm like, it's like Netflix going to the Comcast cable and being like, Hey, we want to do this differently. And we're curious if you would, you know, support us and be our authorizers and oversee us. And it's like, why would we ever do that? Right. So in any case, the charter school movement did help us get to where we are and show some alternatives. And I feel like micro schools are kind of doing that now. 
And I like how they're small and nimble. And, you know, like, so with Acton, what is it like a hundred kids max in a K-12 or how does that work? Yeah, that's from a, from traditionally from a, um, yeah, the Acton network standpoint, they don't want to go for about 120, you yeah. know, roughly 120 to 150. Some Actons have gone a little higher. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, really it was, it was more a matter of, um, there was a, there's been some social, you know, sociological experiments around, uh, communities. And if you get communities above, it's like a 200 person threshold, you start to lose the intimacy, intimacy there, right? You okay. can't have relationships. So it was a lot of it was built around, um, around that concept. Yeah. Um, but also around, you know, uh, adding in the financial element of making it feasible and making keeping yeah. the cost per learner down and yeah. all of those things too. So yeah, traditionally about that size. So, but, but relatively small compared to, especially like a 2,500, 4,000 student yes, high school, sir. you know, I ran charter high schools and there was actually a lot of research out of New York around 200 is like the Mac is like the ideal size for the same reason, like community exactly. and intimacy. Um, but we would do 400 for the financials. <laughs> like we do hundred yeah. kids per grade and, you know, it would work itself out, but yeah. okay. So about a hundred kids. So now you're working on Apogee. Yes, sir. And so this is going to be like, tell us about that. It's like another, it sounds to me like you're launching micro schools that are different from Acton, but there's some similarities and differences. I'd love, love to hear about similarities. that. Yes, sir. And so, yeah, when Tim and I, you know, uh, as I was running the Actons, um, Tim Kennedy and I um, have a, a, a very solid friendship and we decided to have a business partnership too around really pouring into, it was a side project for both. We both have multiple businesses we're running yeah. we're going, and we really wanted to have the good men in our circle, in our, um, you know, in our personal networks, pour into young men. Um, and just went, and when I say good men, I just mean men of character and men of purpose and men who are driven around those things that want to serve at a high level and be really good human beings. Right. And, yeah. and let's give a roadmap for these young men too, and just give them some extra support. So we had built this, um, virtual mentorship program, wildly successful and, and young men from quite literally all over the world. And some of the best men on the planet pouring in. And so that became kind of what I call the first finger of, of what we're doing here. So we had that, it made sense as we continue to grow. Um, we were hearing from a lot of the parents, especially the dads going, man, I wish I had these kind of men in my, I wish I grew up with knowing this. I was never taught how to be a leader you know, as a man, and I, right? Yeah. So, hey, there goes Apogee Strong Dads that started in January. Okay. Uh, we've got a few hundred men now as well, and that's another finger on the hand. So we've got the women and the young women, same kind of thing that are launching. And that okay. final finger, right, to get the full hand that's back to grasping kind of, um, you know, what we think is the foundation of a free and sovereign society, which is education, is going to be, the, that's the K through 12s. And so very Acton-esque, um, very Socratically driven, very project-based, um, but with some very intentional differences too. We talk a lot about mental health. Uh, it's a very trendy topic now, but what we miss out, I think a lot, and I say we meaning just the culture in general, yeah, is the fact that physical health is the precursor for mental health for these young people. So we want to bring a very targeted, very, um, you know, experiential physical education program, not let's go play dodgeball, not here's the state standards of PE. No, like right. a physical fitness program um, and including everything like from self-defense to CrossFit to, you know, we want them to be physically healthy, understanding good food, good nutrition. Um, we want that to be very intentional. We also want the parental growth to be very intentional. We've got all of these mentorship programs. The parents of our heroes that are going to be going through these K through 12s are going to be connected to those mentorship programs as well, because we want them to grow. 
Again, mentorship programs we've developed, it's not, well, Matt and Tim think this is cool for everybody to know. We've literally gone to, we're going to Seth, you know, Godin, and we've gone to Alex Hormozzi, and we're going to people that are just like ninjas in their field. Right. And going, what are the projects and challenges that adults need to be taking on to move themselves forward, right, in education? And we've put together, we've collaborated to put this together for them. So again, none of it is a perfect roadmap, but it's an amazing roadmap to learn how to self-educate. And all education ends up being self-education. So that's where we're going. That's amazing. So then, so currently you have an online program and you're going to start creating schools from here. Correct, sir. Yep, that's right. A targeted launch. So we have a couple of, couple of hundred applications right now um, that we're going through. And these are people who are saying, look, we want to bring a micro school to our community. We want to bring an Apogee school to our community. And so we're going through all the applications um, and then we're going to bring them. And this is another thing that Acton as a network decided not to do. I very much love Acton and respect um, the decisions in the network. So I look at them as nothing but collaborators on this mission, but um, bring, bring the business side of it in. Right. Um, and, and helping people who want to bring these to their communities really understand the ins and outs and the pitfalls of running the business to where they are. Okay. And best practices of actually getting this open, building a great community. I've seen a lot of Actons crash and burn because they don't have that support. And again, I understand why. Right. And has chosen not to do it. We just want to do it a little different. So interesting because I was just talking with a friend of mine. I helped a friend open a micro school in South Dakota, right outside of the um, awesome. Native American reservation where she grew up. Yes, and sir. she was like a principal and a teacher there. And she's like, I don't want to actually, she's coming on the podcast in a few weeks, but she's like, I don't, I don't know how to serve my community through the public system. So she opened her own school called Onward Learning. Awesome. And she was sharing that like the most vital thing that I helped her with was the actual business side. And if you think about it, most educators is the same in the charter space because I've helped tons of people open charter schools and like, They'll come in and they have this amazing education the vision for the kids and the parents and the community. But when it comes down to like, well, you realize that none of that is possible unless you do X, Y, and Z on the business side. And they're like, wait, what? <laughs> that's it. And that's what we, you know, I've seen so many actions crash and burn because of that. It's not because the the person didn't understand the pedagogy or it's not because they didn't have a heart for the kids and, and right. have a network in the community. It was because on the business side, they didn't understand how to make that work, you know, and that's, yeah. Um, that's, it's a vital component. So, and we want to help on that as much as possible, help on the training side. Um, but then also help where we can on the financial side. And we've got some plans on, um, on what we're going to do to be able to, to be able to do that as well. So. Okay, cool. And then I know, so are you going to be focusing on teachers or parents or anybody who's interested? How are you going to determine that? As far as, as far as who's the owner, owner operator? Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's a, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, and we say that could be a yes. And. Okay. Here's the hard part. And it was the same thing when I had, you know, a number of campuses I've run in Acton campuses, I would have teachers show up all the time and go, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do. And I've been teaching for 27 years and I've got to come here. And I'm like, ooh, this is going to be a tough transition. Yeah. Right. Because you've done that for so long. This is not the same game. Yes. Uh, But your mentality will likely be like, ooh, this is what I've got to do when, you know, really you should be going a different direction. So Um, that's the hardest part is so nothing wrong, you know, again, uh, we glad to work with teachers, but they're going to need to be, you know, somewhat disenfranchised with that conveyor belt model uh, in order to really run towards what we're doing. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I I fully a hundred percent understand that just from the charter schools I've opened. 
Yes, sir. Where it's like you speak with them and they sound philosophically on board. Right. And then the first week of school, it's like, oh, wait, you're lining them up and like, oh, wait, yep. you're <laughs> yep. taking totally. away their recess. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, wait, but you said philosophically you want kids to actually be in charge, yet you're still controlling them. And they're like, oh, wait, what? Like, it's so ingrained that, and it's a system that we went through as kids that okay. if we went to teacher grad school or whatever, teacher school, like it's all so ingrained that you're not even aware of your, you of the fact that you're operating that way. And that's why I call the conveyor belt school system the biggest cult in our country. And people don't like it when I say that, and I understand that. But I, I say it for that very reason, yeah. is because we're all ingrained to believe, and we, we believe that, that that specific model um, done at that specific time in that specific way, we have equated that to education. And, and in my mind, it is anything but, because I guess it begs the question, what should education, what is education, right? And what should education be for? Yeah. Um, Seth Godin was the first one to actually ask me, what should education be for? I went, man, we never get asked that question. Yeah, that's a great one. You know, but when you define it and, and however that looks, right, I define it as, you know, the, the reality to, to, you know, go after your version of sovereignty and freedom and to pull out the genius, the inherent genius that's in, you know, with you and the ability to adapt, to learn, to unlearn all of those things while schooling tends to put a damper on all of those. And so it's getting people out of that mindset. Yeah. Yeah. What about kind of thinking about the larger space of education change and mm -hmm. to what you just said, like, if we're yeah. going to create this massive change, it is so ingrained and there's, I mean, everyone has it. I always tell people, everyone always has an opinion on it, right? Yes. It's like, well, my Correct. kids are in school or I went to, everyone went to some version of school at some point in their life. Exactly. Even if they didn't make it that long, they were in it for at least like a few years, right? And so there, everyone has an opinion. And, and what do you think, you know, do you think micro schools can play in this kind of like sea change? Because what I, what I hear people say is like, well, micro schools, it's the same thing they said about charter schools for years. Oh, they're like 5% of the market share or like, oh, they're so like, great. I'm glad you're doing something over on the side. And like, I'm glad you're having fun and you're having your little community. That's your little bubble. And right. I'm glad that you guys are doing that over there. But like 97% of the world is still operating in this old way. So like, what are you doing to create like real change in the world? Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's, I, yeah. I fully get that, man. And I get those questions all the time. So the way I look at it is, um, I think about an organization like CrossFit, right? You know what CrossFit is, right? Yeah. Whether you participate in CrossFit or not, the majority of people at this point know what that is. Yeah. And you can't deny the power of what they have done from a cultural standpoint. Again, you like it or you don't, uh, that's not yeah. the argument here. The yeah. argument is you almost, almost guarantee, that's too funny. I say CrossFit and I get a text message from Jason Kaliba just now as we're talking, who's the second ever CrossFit Games winner. Um, that's <laughs> Perfect. Uh, he's helping us on the physical education side. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I want to talk about that. Let's talk about that uh, as soon so, as you finish this one. But, yeah. um, but, you know, what they did was they, they put a lot of eyeballs on something that became this global phenomenon, this global community that allowed for micro gyms right? To right. become a thing. And so everybody was able to impact their community and they were able to build this out. They were connected to the, to the greater global push. And what yeah. ended up happening was as they did that and expanded and all these people had all these success stories coming out of it. The next thing, you know, your 24 hour fitnesses, your gold gyms, your ballys, all your big franchise chains, globo gyms, as they call them yeah. started incorporating. Oh Yeah. CrossFit style classes, right? <laughs> so that is that is where I believe the power is if people will um, will really get behind this is 
the more stories we're able to show of the efficacy of what we're all doing here on from that quote unquote micro school side of things, it'll force some of that change internally. And if we can start to show, wait a second, we're also doing this at a $1,000, $2,000 a year per learner clip. Yep. And you got your public schools operating at 15, 16, 17 grand a year. And they're like, we need more funding. We can just show that, well, okay, well, we're getting better results at two grand a year. What's right. the disconnect here? It's not the funding. No, I love, I love this answer. I love it so much. And it reminds me of kind of the theory around disruptive innovation, right? It's like, sure. you have, I mean, every big corporation has some little wing that's like hidden away from everybody else so that they can't talk to the people that are in the box. Like just go over there and experiment with stuff. Right. And typically nothing really comes out of those, but what they do is that they're like, oh, we're going to, we're Blockbuster. Now we're going to mimic Netflix and we're going to, we're going to use, you know, mail CDs or have CD or DVDs. I remember what they're called back then. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. DVDs that you could go in and get, or they'd be mailed to you. And it's like, okay. And they don't do it very well. And then Blockbuster falls, you know, goes down. And I know from the charter school I ran for years in San Jose is like the district started doing all things we were doing because it's just basic economics, right? Like you're, you're going to have to adjust to the market and the the user who's the parent is like, well, there's a 700 kid waiting list at that charter school. That's right. And it seems like they're doing something. So we should just start copying what they're doing and do it really poorly. And 24 hour fitness, which I have a lifetime membership to that I pay $20 a year. So they hooked me That's and I'm awesome. like, well, it's so cheap. I'll just go. But they started doing this little group exercise thing. I can't remember what it was called, but it was like mimicking. It was yeah. so bad. Yeah, it's so bad. But yeah. I did it because it was free. I, mean, I was basically getting it for free. And I'm like, God, I know it's so much better at CrossFit, but I'm too cheap. Pay $200. I'm just going to. So I did it for like a month or two. And I'm like, this is not as good as CrossFit. But to your point, that's sure. how you create change with these like that's smaller right. units, right? That's right. You end up making, I mean, no matter what, now you're aware. Now you're aware that there are options. And that's one of the biggest things that, you know, um, be you and I being in education. What I've seen is a lot of people who are in our, our educational sphere, educational circles, um, it's so used to the fact that we get to talk to one another and we get to talk about all this innovation. We get to talk about all these stories. We forget that the mass majority of the country truly doesn't realize how many options are available to them and what those options look like. Yes. We almost forget because we take it for granted because we talk about it all the time. You yeah. know, and majority of the world, man, they don't know that that's a thing. And so um, it's a, at the very least, the big, the biggest first step we can take is, is creating that awareness for everybody. So at least the conversation actually has a place to take hold. And having models for them. So saying like, yes. have you looked at right. acting? Have you looked at Apogee? Um, I'm having the One Stone founder from Boise, Idaho, come on in a few weeks. She's going to talk okay. about the school that she started. The kids literally are on the board. It's a high school. And you walk in there, it looks like Google, you know, and it's, it's in Boise, Idaho. You never know where these things are going to happen. Bingo. And I remember going to visit them and seeing, I had talked to somebody from Acton and they had brought up the CrossFit model. They're like, we're more like CrossFit than 24 hour fitness. And that always stuck with me. And then I went, I'm driving through Boise, Idaho, going to this amazing school. And I'm seeing all these CrossFits in Boise, Idaho. And I'm like, oh, that's exactly what's happening. Like they all kind of have their own flavor. Yes. But they use the what the work. I don't I don't know that much about it, but I know the basics. Like they use the same workout of the day. There's like a sort of centralized connection, but yet yeah, everyone has their own labor, right? Centralized programming. There's different ways that you can specialize that you know you can get information from kind of the uh 
um, you know, kind of the, the community at large, everybody's talking to each other. Everybody's able to innovate with each other and bounce ideas around. Yeah. And then they'll come together around bigger regional or global events yeah. to share in the community of the whole thing and the mission of the whole tribe. Right. And that's the beauty of it. You know, Acton has done a very good job of doing that. Same thing yeah. we want to do on the Apogee side. I love hearing about, um, you know, so many organizations. Prenda is doing a great, a great oh, job. Prenda, of that. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, there's a number of these organizations. So again, we get more and more and more doing this. At some point, you're not going to be able to deny that that's, that that's taking place. Well, yeah. And to your point, like people just don't know about it. And I feel like with the pandemic, you know, people were like, whoa, this is what my kids do in school. Like they were looking on Zoom being like, like my daughter, you know, we're in like the better, you know, quote unquote, one of the best elementary schools around and they would do one hour of Zoom. Yep. Cause they didn't know what else to do. They're like, well, I just stand and talk all day. So I can't stand and talk for six hours on a zoom. Right. And I think a lot of parents, a lot of us parents, we saw that and we're like, Hmm. And mm-hmm. then the private schools are doing the same thing. You're like, you're paying 30 grand a year. And you're right. like, wow, they're not doing much different than the public schools. And what is going on here? So I think people started scratching their heads. And I know the home, I was just reading an article yesterday, like the homeschool market has like doubled. I, I think it was like six to 12%. You probably know this better than I do, but yeah. it's starting to, grow, right? It is growing quite a bit. Um, last year we hit, and so I don't know what the current numbers are. I, I would imagine it's a little more than this, but last year, this country hit 5 million homeschoolers for the first time ever since yeah. you know before uh, school became compulsory. So um, I would imagine it's up to probably, you know, closer to six now. And so, yeah, you've got a lot of people who are going, well, wait a second, there's, there probably is a different way we can do this. And I wonder if I can do it more effectively. And, you know, we've got a homeschool tribe too. I've got a couple hundred families that I take for oh, nice. what it looks like to home educate too. Just that I yeah. jump call with them literally every single week, just to make sure they're good. We send out resources every month um, because we want them to understand education and schooling just are not, they're not the same thing. <laughs> no, they're not the same thing. And to your point, like if we can share, I really agree with you hundred percent that it's like going to happen community by community. Yes, sir. And I asked you that's what I'll call a silly question of like, well, how's this going to create the change? It's like, well, everything starts with one person, right? It's like one person and then eventually it starts to grow. And so I really believe it's like people in the communities that are just like tired yes, of all of this, like the, the bureaucracy, the government schools, like just all of the command and control and really just seeing like, and, and then if you think about the kind of what's happening with college now, you know, it's like, is that even... We've all been basically sold this bill of goods. Like we, we go to the good school, we go to the good college, and then we get the good job. And it's like, number one, is that even true? And then number two, like, how do we feel when we have that job? Like, I know many of my friends have had like nervous breakdowns by the time they're 40, right? Because they're like, I did it. I went to Stanford. I went to this school. I did that. And now I'm an accountant and like, I'm bored to death. (laughs) And I hate it. And I feel like I wasted it. And I'm still in debt. And I still, yes. Totally. Uh, And that's, you know, and, and unfortunately the majority of us know that it's very much, um, it reminds me of the movie, the matrix, you know, it's like very Mm -hmm. much, you know, where we see this and you go, yeah, we all kind of know it, but we don't want to pull at the string and unravel and see where it goes. And a lot of that from what I found is, um, it is, it's fear and not necessarily fear of taking a new direction. It's fear of the relationships and what I might lose if I take the new direction that, that really hinders a lot of people, right? It's like, okay, if I decide I'm going to try home education for my family, or I decide I'm going to go to this, something that's quote unquote, an alternative school, right? And think about what it's alternative to. Um, but you know, if I decide I'm going to go that route, well, shoot, 
what is my mom going to think of me? What is my dad going to think? What yes. is that person down the street? Are they going to think I'm a bad parent? What is my, yes. uh, I've, I've, I've heard that anybody who home educates, you know, the kids are weird. Like, so what about that? <laughs> afraid of that. Like, I'm afraid that I'm not, I'm afraid that I'm not qualified to really educate my, my child. So I'm going to send them back into the same system that I went through that left me feeling unqualified to educate my own kids. I'm like, it's this right. fear yeah. That, you know, yeah. that drives the, that drives the lack of, um, curiosity around why we're still doing things in this conveyor belt fashion. Yeah. Well, and one of my visions for this podcast and this community that I'm building around Changemaker EU is that we start to elevate and show schools like Apogee, schools like Acton, mm-hmm. and start to show, to your point, like the general public don't know any, they don't know anything about this and yeah. they are scared. And I've had so many conversations with people that are like, I want to homeschool. Mm. But I, and then they ask me and I'm like, honestly, I don't know that much about homeschooling, but they, they just, they want someone to give them a roadmap. Like, well, what does it look like? Or how do I do this? Or, and to be honest with you with the homeschooling, I feel like some people just don't want to do it. Like when I get into the, a lot of my clients that I do life coaching with and other stuff, and they're like, well, I want to homeschool. And then when we really talk about it, it's like, no, I don't I actually don't. I just don't want my kids to be in the factory model and I don't know what else to do. Right. And so I feel like giving them options and saying like, you know, there's, there's many choices out there and like helping them get over the fear to your point. It's fear of being different. It's fear of screwing your kid. I mean, at my charter schools, the first question that parents would ask is, are you going to get my kid to college? And so the, I have loved the first two years, the first couple hundred families that come in the first and second year, because they were like, we're going to, we're going to bet, take a bet on our kids with you. Like, we're going to believe that your vision is going to, you know, and like, we're going to believe that even if they don't get to college, like they're going to just be better humans. Right. And, but then by like year three, year four, we're like, okay, we have a 96% acceptance rate. Like kids are going, you know, you'd start naming all the schools and all of a sudden there's 700 kids on a waiting list. Right. Like those early adopters are always the best ones, but I feel like it takes like a small group to show other people that this is possible. For sure. They are. Yeah. That's such a man that, and you're right. So to your point on the fear side, you know, that's what we have found is a lot of times for, again, we go back to that question of what does it mean to be educated? Right. Well, I, um, I get the, the the honor and the pleasure of working with so many young men from all over the world, of working with so many men from around the world, of working with so many entrepreneurs, of working with that. And that's the common thread. No matter what, they are trying to move past a fear to yeah. go do something, be something, get something that they are not currently doing, being, getting, right? Like that's yeah. that's what they are looking for a lot of times is that it's more of an inspiration than anything else. And they're looking for somebody to say, look, I believe in you and let's take a bet on yourself and let's, yes. you know, let's move over. Let's, let's, let's use a little bit of logic to show that what you're talking about may be or may not be, you know, relatively irrational, but let's get some, you know, let's get some courage behind all of this too. It's unwinding that fear more than anything else. And so I've started to, you know, really ruminate on the idea that part of a, a massive component on being an educated human being is getting yourself to a place where you can push through those fears and, and yes. have a, of a calm peace, you know, peace of mind as you're doing that. So yeah, it's definitely part of the human condition. No, I'm really glad you brought that up because I told you that I wanted to actually ask you as a leader, how do you do what you're doing? And like, what are, you know, this is a perfect question. So how exactly. do you navigate? Because I do, if you really think about it, Fear is what keeps us in the status quo. Fear is what keeps us like, okay, I'm yeah. so scared I'm not going to get my retirement. Mm-hmm. I'm so scared that I, if I don't do the nine to five, I'm so scared that if I put my kid in an alternative school, you know, people will judge me. I'm so scared. Yeah. And you literally just live this life of mediocrity based yeah. on fear. So yeah. what do you do 
to overcome the fear to be like, I'm going to open a hundred Apogee schools. Yeah. I got this program, that program for sure. And you left the public school. I mean, I remember when I was talking to you and you were like, yeah, I'm doing public speaking. I'm like, how'd you do that? And you're like, well, I just started speaking. Just started and speaking. People were paying me a lot more than I ever expected. And next thing I know, this is my career. So like, what's mm-hmm. your, you know, what do you do to, to overcome that fear? Yeah, that's a really good question, man. I appreciate that. And I, you know, I can, I can point back to some very specific instances early on in my life where I was like, Hey man, okay. There's something inside of me that wants to do something. Everybody else would be scared to do this, yeah. but I see them not really being joyful in that fear. And I don't want that. Like I, I remember instances as a martial artist, as a young kid, I remember seeing like, everybody's afraid to do this. Oh, I wonder what it looks like to just do it and see if you just lose that fear. So I'm going to go ahead and go speed in that tournament again and fight that kid that nobody else wants to fight. Right. That's because he's built like a moose. I'm pretty sure he's 37. I'm only 10, but that's okay. <laughs> right. You know, so it's like, let's, let's do this. And I remember sitting my very first date that I ever had um, with a girl. I remember being, you know, 15 and sitting in the movie theater and I was like all excited and all nervous, but we were seeing Braveheart. And very quickly, I'm like, I don't even care that this girl's right here. I like this story. He's talking about every man dies. Not every man really lives. Like I had this DNA component, right? right. So it was always like, how can I put myself in these uncomfortable situations. And then I would reflect on those situations and go, wait a second. I actually grew a ton from that. I grew a ton from fighting somebody else in a cage. Like I grew a ton from that. It wasn't about fighting as it was about me growing. Yes. I grew a ton from making myself get on stage. Right. So I started, you know, building that habit, you know, and thankfully I'm very grateful. I started building that habit, um, early on. And it still looks like that for me. I look at my life and go, okay, how do, how can I optimize? I don't believe perfection is possible, but I believe it should always be the standard. Mm-hmm. So how do I, how do I get into perfect health? How do I get a perfect relationship with my wife? How do I have the perfect relationship with my kids? How do I get the perfect financial situation? How do I, and just move towards that. Yeah. So you have a vision, you're holding a vision, always holding a vision, right? And yeah. now I I can go back into the cookie jar and go, well, I've got enough confidence and I'll bet on me enough because I have experiences betting on myself, right? I've, I've taken the action. So I'll go ahead and bet on me that I'll figure this out as I go. I'll practice. I'm going to fail. I'm going to screw it up, but I'll get better, you know, and, and, and I'm going to do that for every single bit of my life that I think matters. And so it's a process, man. It's not anything, you know, uh, hockiness is something you can pull off a shelf, but true confidence and peace is a long tail endeavor. Yeah. And I always talk about just being really authentic. Like when you're really for living sure. authentically to who you really are. I'm, I'm, I was a basketball coach for years and I always I would read like all of John Wooden's books. Yeah. And literally you could summarize all of his teachings into like three, let's see, three, three words, be true to yourself. Yeah. Like he just always be like, I always tell my players, be true to yourself. Yes. Be true to yourself. Everything else works out, man. It's a, because you're, you're just connecting to your factory settings, right? Like you're, mm-hmm. this is you out of the box, like coming right out of the box. That's your factory setting. That's where you are. And, and I think, you know, what I've been finding in, in education is that for, uh, for our young heroes, it is often about maintaining those factory settings, right? Like not putting extra programs yes. on top of the factory setting that right. really puts it away. Right. And then for the, uh, for the adults that we get to work with, it is often trying to get them back to factory settings and going yes, right. by subtraction, right? Like what garbage have you downloaded yes. that I've got to offload because that's actually right. going to do more than giving you more to do. Sometimes I got to strip away right. you know, 
you've owned that doesn't serve you, you know, yes. it's, it's this interesting um, game there, but it's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I love what you're saying about, you know, it's, it becomes an unlearning process. And I always tell people, I'm like, so, what would it be like if we had adults that didn't go through a broken school system mm. and we wouldn't have to help them unlearn all these things that were drilled into them? <laughs> because what is the belief? Like the children are empty vessels and we're just going to put all the information into these passive empty vessels. And so if that's the way you're being raised in a school and you're the whole thing is like, when do I get, you know, I have to ask to go to the bathroom and how do I line up and do all these things? It's like, okay, that's how you're going to live your life. So of course you're going to be scared. You're scared of everything. That's right. You've been trained to be right. You're the elephant at an early age that was tied to a post and you physically couldn't pull away at that time, even though you wanted to. But then as you got older, that same small string still keeps you to that post, not because you're not capable of it, but because you don't think you're capable of it. You know, you've been yeah. trained. You were trained early on. And so you'll no longer yank against that post and you're stuck. You exactly. Know? Until you, until you can unlearn it. And so a lot of my listeners are change makers that have a dream about, you know, how they want to create change, whatever is like their authentic change. that wants to, I always say like, what is the authentic change that wants to come through you mm-hmm. and how do you move that into the world? And exactly. a lot of people that come that reach out to me are like, yeah, I've always wanted to start a school or I've always wanted to do this or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I've always wanted to change, you know, my community and, you know, whatever it is around their dream and they get stuck and they're like, I don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. And I'm always like, well, let's first, let's get clear on your vision. Yeah. Like, what's the yeah. vision that's holding you that's yep. driving you. Yep. And then let's get clear on like, how are you going to take action steps to actually move in that direction? But most people are just really scared to do anything. And so that's why I love having people like you on. Cause I, I think they can see that it's possible. It's always possible, man. And yeah, we talk about it as like, um, you know, we say it's fire aim ready. And so meaning like, okay, I've got a, an idea of where I want to go, but instead of sitting back and like completely, let's get the perfect business plan first. Right. And let me get my business cards and let me get a website up. And a lot of those things that, um, fool us into believing we're making progress. What I always tell them is, okay, if you have an idea of what that vision is, what's the first step? What's the first step in actually making it happen? You're going to fire first. And in the process of firing on that step, you'll get a little closer and you'll be like, Oh, okay. I can see the target a little better, I think. And so you're going to fire again. And as you're doing that, now you're honing in your aim before you're ever ready, right? It's, it's taking action is what actually illuminates the path for you. You know, it yeah. starts there. Um, we, we act our ways into new ways of thinking. We don't think our ways into new ways of acting. So you got to take oh, that. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let me hear a little bit about um, the CrossFit or the physical fitness you talked about. I think that sounds really interesting. And then we're going to wrap up, but yeah, tell us a little bit about what you're doing with the physical fit. I mean, that's so, so important. I love it. It's so important, man. So, you know um, it's funny, man. So for where you are now and and where I was um, there was a, uh, there was a program back in 1962 called La Sierra high school. I don't know if you ever heard anything or seen anything on them. No. Um, So there's a very interesting um, documentary that's on Amazon right now too, about the program. I wish I could remember the name of it off the top of my head, but if anybody was to just, you know, go search up 1962 La Sierra high school, it was in Sacramento. And uh, JFK actually even visited and was like, this is what physical education should look like in America, in our schools. Um, and it fizzled out for a few different reasons. But um, if you go watch the documentary or you go look up the standards of what these, you know, these young people had to hit, it was unbelievable what they were capable of from a physical standpoint. 
Um, their standards that they held for themselves were extraordinarily high. I would dare say the majority of, of even fit individuals in our country wouldn't hold a candle to them anymore. Um, and they were ranked based on their ability to hit various standards, right? So you had different color shorts um, based on what you were able to do, right? And so, um, but when you go watch the documentary or you go listen to, you know, people talk about, you know, when they were students, when they were there, what you find is they don't talk about the fact that they were in great shape. They talk about the fact that everybody really um, had a, a very unique camaraderie. They really supported one another. There wasn't any kind of bullying. They all did extraordinarily well from an academic standpoint, right? They are talking about how that really was the biggest thing that, that you know, moved the needle forward for them. And so we want to make sure that's something that we can get into again. We've, you know, we've progressed, you know, quite a bit in the world as far as our knowledge around physical fitness and health. Um, but we're not sharing that with our kids and we don't need to give them the academia behind it first. We need to get them moving and understanding that movement is fun and it's something that can be engaging and it's something that they just noticeably feel better. And we understand like, here's what real food is and looks like. And we want to give them um, something to really build a tribe around. And I think that again, is a factory setting. It's very yeah. easy I believe, to build a tribe around shared, shared physical experiences for young people. So, um, you know, we've got CrossFit coaches that we are working with that are um, helping on some of the programming for this. We have calisthenics experts that we are working with um, to help give options on all these things. We have, you know, Tim is obviously a phenomenal martial artist. Um, so incorporating jujitsu and kickboxing into our academies and just making these. So they still have options of how to be physically, uh, you know, moving. There's still options there, but they're good options. It's not sit out and not do anything. It's not, you know, dodgeball and, and whatever. And there's a place for dodgeball, I guess, whatever, but it's not, like, that's not <laughs> right. physical education, man. Right. That's not something that you take on for the rest of your life to be physically healthy, right? Like putting the nutrition, you know, nutritional guidelines in there, having nutritional guidelines around um, what they bring to the schools, you know, to make sure it's all healthy options. Like we think that's just wildly, wildly uh, underutilized as the tool to help our kids. So we want to make sure it's, it's, you know, front and center. I love that. And I love when I ask people a question and they get super passionate because I can tell where their joy and their energy is. And I'm like, he's really passionate about this. So it's so important. It's so important. (laughs) You know, it really is. It's just, I just don't think we're doing right by them if we're not showing them that, you know, that component. Well, you remind me of a story. So I opened a charter school in East San Jose and these were kids that didn't have great options and, you know, a lot of dangerous things happening in their neighborhoods. And there was this little local gym that just opened like right down the street from us. And one day I was going over there, you know, going in the little shopping center to get something. I don't remember. And I looked over and I saw like 40 of my 10th grade boys all just like hanging out in this little um, gym. And I went in there and I saw our assistant teacher, not even the credential teacher, like this guy had just graduated from college and he was helping out. And he had somehow just gathered them all in the gym. And it was like their, their afternoon routine. Like that's what they did. And they were so into it and they were so like happy. And so he had provided like informally provided a structure, like you said, the camaraderie, pushing themselves, the goals. And, you know, I I was listening to Lewis house the other day and he was talking about how, you know, he started the school of greatness because his coaches are are what taught him greatness. He never got it in the school system. So, and it's like, that's what I love about physical education and team sports and all that. It's like, you're, you're getting all that that you just talked about. It's amazing. So much. Amazing. So good. 
Oh, so good. Yeah. So we're <laughs> excited to make sure that's a, that's a component. And then again, you know, that in that parental side too. So they go, they get all of this growth mindset every day and they go home to parents who are also on the same journey. You know, I've always yeah. told parents, the best way to make sure your child's educated is to, to be wildly educated yourself and to bring them along. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's like, really? So why aren't we pouring in and making sure the parents have a solid foundation of support too, right? If we really are concerned about changing from a cultural standpoint, then it's everybody, man. Yeah. And, and I love that you're incorporating parents and growth mindset and all that. All right. So as we wrap up, anything else you wanted to share with the listeners that maybe didn't get a chance to share anything kind of closing thoughts? You know, I mean, I think I really love where the conversation went, man, because it is, you know, if, if they take away anything, I would love for them to do a little self-examination and just go, what is, what is the story I'm telling myself? What is the story I'm telling myself about the story I'm telling myself about why I can't do something, right? What is it that that fear is still got a hold on? You're not questioning it um, and understand that there's a whole lot of good stuff on the other side of, of just diving in, questioning it, fire aim ready, going after it a little bit. You know, there's all, all you have to risk is, is uh, a little bit of growth, man. So I would just encourage people to, to dive in. All right. Well, appreciate you. Thanks for being on today and have a great day. Honor. You too, bud. Thank you for listening to the Changemaker EDU podcast. Every guest and listener is a valued part of this co-creation. We're honored that you listen and we hope that this helped you in some small or big way today. This is a community and a movement. And without you, it wouldn't be possible. If you want to learn more about me, go to davidkrichards.com. And as always, if you're so moved, please rate and review the podcast. And finally, our greatest compliment is when you share an episode with someone who you believe will benefit from the message. Sending you immense love and courage today. Thank you. Do you want to save time on prep work, increase student achievement for all of your students, reliably meet tier one standards? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com B to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve these goals. That's IXL.com B-E.